Hello, my name is Bobby George from the Bondec Montessori, and I am joined today by Charlotte Wood of the Bondec Montessori. Today we are going to discuss a really important article, one that uh, Dr. Montessori delivered as a lecture, and it was first published in 1947. The title of, it, of the article is called A New World and Education. So, writing in the context of 1947, we've just experienced the end of World War II, and so many transformational things are happening around the world. And this paper offers an opportunity for Montessori to... It's, it's, it stands kind of like this Janice head of looking forward and looking back. She's already had her um, uh, methodology in place for a number of years. And the world's at a turning point in which she can now reflect upon uh, new lessons and old lessons just the same. And there's lots of stories, um, mythologies around how Montessori created or discovered her method based on following the interests of the child. But this paper is revealing for a number of other reasons in which she really tries to address the practical nature of trying to implement something that the world was not yet quite ready for. And today, along with Miss Wood, we'd kind of love to discuss what Maria Montessori calls a new consciousness. She says, For humanity must acquire a new consciousness and thus realize a psychic adaptation suited to the new world in which it lives. So, Miss Wood, in the context of this radical transformation which society and culture and the political sphere itself is undergoing, Montessori says now is the time in which we need to develop a new consciousness for a new type of education to ultimately create a new world. What are the practical ways in which you think Montessori um, saw herself as trying to implement this new vision for what the future of education could be? Yeah, well, um, first I think it's important to note that Maria Montessori did not intend to spend seven years in India. Um, she point. went there um, with every expectation that the war would end quickly and that she'd be able to return home, but she got stuck. Um, and she spent um, this significant portion of time um, and took full advantage of it. And there's a, still a huge Montessori presence in in India, um, because of her time there. Um, but this is, I think a time, um, in these lectures, you see an emergence of, um, this idea of a cultural rebirth. And I almost wonder if it's impacted by, um, the Hinduism and the philosophies, um, around, um, regeneration and, um, uh, cycles of life that she would have been presented with, um, not necessarily for the first time, but in a, um, a more um, all-encompassing um, facet with being in India versus being in, in Western Europe. Um, right. And there is this... Um, so so the, the culture itself <laughs> affords an opportunity to have a new vantage point upon education. Not, not only is the world experiencing the most horrific war it had ever seen, she's also one step removed in a way from this and, and having that perspective. Yeah. So having a lot of, having a lot of new, new opportunities to learn and seeing how this doesn't just affect children age three to six, but how this is critical for, 
um, the world to take advantage of this opportunity to start again, um, and also how it's critical in order to um, to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Um, and I don't know that we've achieved that yet. I think we're still working on yeah, that. Right. So many years later, I mean, we're, we're still trying. Absolutely. Um, I mean, even what is this? 60 years ago, um, she was saying that um, interpersonal advancement and, and relationship um, and introspection of an individual as well as um, looking beyond one's um, own borders for what we consider to be community um, has not kept up with technology and, and how much has technology surpassed since then and have we made even a fraction of the advances that she was asking for. I mean, they're talking about really basic understandings of how the world works being novel and um, really mind-blowing back then. Um, And now we've, as far out as we've gone in space, we've gone that far into the human body and we've gone that far into um, what people are capable of. and learned so much, so much more about how the world is related, and um... and yet, in the same sense, like there's this idea that we still don't know very much about the natural progression of children. No, and this is something that she was like trying to uh, lend a scientific lens towards. Yeah. So wh- why do you think um, that she saw children as like this paradigmatic instance of this, like you described, this opportunity to regenerate? What is it about children? Well, is all... it just the fact that they're that they're young and they have an opportunity to start, or is there something else? Is there something more powerful in childhood that we overlook or we've forgotten to see well, as she, adults? She says it in in the last part of this um, of this lecture. But the child must not be considered as he is today in 1947 and in 2015 um, in his apparent weakness in relation to us. He must be considered in his power of potential man. So it's, um, it's a, the child is a collection of possibilities. Um, and sometimes it's easy to think of children, even as somebody who's trained to expect more of children and trained to see more in them. Um, it's easy to think, oh, they're just little. But mm-hmm. their, their potential is so much greater than any of ours is. Because they have so much more time left. They have so much more capacity for... We've exhausted our potential in, in yeah. a certain Yeah, I mean, stance. at this point, um, I'm probably not going to become an Olympian. Like, <laughs> There's still hope. There's still hope. <laughs> Hopefully. But, you know, and, just but, have to invent a new category. <laughs> right? Um, but their, their capacities are so much greater. Their capacities for love, their capacities for attaching to knowledge, um, because they haven't put limits on themselves yet. Um, and or so, society hasn't put limits either. Well, we have. You know, we have put limits on what they're capable of, um, but they haven't realized those yeah, yet. Right. And so, so the, this raises a great point where she says, like, her new education needs to be centered on life. And then she goes on to say, essentially, that we need to start developing things that we normally wouldn't consider that were education, per se, like character and independence and freedom mm-hmm. and respect. I mean, these are concepts which we normally don't consider integral to um, the role of learning. Mm-hmm. But so, so can you describe that shift, like, away from, like, you know, 
math and language mm-hmm. and academics, mm-hmm. which of course is incorporated in a different way. Yeah. Well, and I, I kind of wonder if this is where um, like yogic practices would come into play for her, that um, you can be shown how to do something, but you're the one who needs to achieve it. Um, and she, um, she says in here that, um, freedom leads to respect and independence leads to a functioning individual, um, that before and in what still holds true today in many of our educational systems, it's very top down. It's very, um, like filling a basket of, you have to put enough, um, operations of addition and diagramming sentences in, and then a child will learn how to do it. Um, but this is more of the, of the child as a creator of their own world, um, through these, these other, um, these faculties for hope and freedom and independence and, and, and love of, um, love of one another, just as important as being, um, being able to do math and being able to, to read. Um, and so it really is a moment where, um, you can, you can present the child with opportunities to, to acquire those skills. Um, but you can't do the learning for them. Um, and you can't, you can't learn how to read for them in the same way you can't learn how to empathize for them. This might be a bit of a tangent, but we'll see where it takes us. Um, but this is directly relevant, I think, which is uh, at this time, um, uh, a, few, a few years later, the Eichmann trials are going on. And Hannah Arendt goes over and um, she discovers what she calls the banality of evil, which is this idea after uh, Nazi Germany was that um, Eichmann wasn't a mastermind murderer he was following orders and it was these orders in which, I mean, I I would say that Montessori would look at that and say, well, if he was a thinking individual, he would have questioned the system in which he was operating. Mm -hmm. And the role of education is to create the conditions in which that banality wouldn't exist Mm -hmm. because we would be thinking on our own. Yeah. And that might be a bit of a stretch, but but I I think in this context, this is something that would be pertinent to. Well, no, I mean, she says that if there is no respect, um, and veneration for human life. Um, she is trying to create a place where people um, would not accept any order or suggestion or um, mindset where um, to say a whole other um, group of individuals is a different class or is a different um, different from us in, in, in any capacity would be acceptable to people. Um, and I think... Um, in a, um, I mean, we still have acts of genocide going on today, which is fueled by the same mindset of, of, um, set apart. Those are people set apart. They are different from me. And, um, and we have more minor acts, but still incredibly harmful of bullying and prejudice, um, that we encounter daily. Um, and, um, as long as we see others as the other, um, we have not achieved that new education, um, which Maria Montessori was calling for, um, and and our work with these children is still still pertinent. Um, what does it take to What does it take to develop that 
new consciousness. Like, like in, in, a, in a certain sense or respect, like Montessori saw these classrooms as like environments in which potential could, could be actualized. And then one step further would be to say that once the children had uh, gone through that system, they would now be able to take what they learned back into the world mm-hmm. and develop the world consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think as, as long as we still have a culture that um, believes that the worst thing you could be is a failure instead of the worst thing you could be is unkind, um, then we're not there. And there's still ongoing, there's still ongoing work to do as long, as long, until we, um, have a place where, um, collaboration is more important than competition and, um, support and positive group dynamics are, are valued as much as, as grades are valued at the end of the day. Um, then this is still a work in progress. Right, right. And she says, and I'll just read this quote, she says, the new education must foster a new understanding of the real values of humanity and gratitude must be felt for those workers upon whom human life depends. And this is, you you mentioned this too, if man is not appreciated, if there is no respect and veneration for human life, how can we expect or hope that men will become friends and work in peaceful collaboration? Yeah. Yeah, it's really powerful. Um, Maybe lastly, we can turn towards this... uh, concept, which is uh, not so radical anymore, but at one time was considered at the front lines, which is the idea that education starts from birth. Mm -hmm. Well, as long as we're considering education as being um, interpersonal, um, relationship-based, as well as um, academia, um, then we're not only seeing that children are um, viewing um, one-to-one correspondence um, before they can before they can count, or children are, are listening and absorbing language before they um, can even track a book with their eyes. Um, children are also experiencing how we treat each other, and um, and they're internalizing that um, perhaps even more so than they're internalizing academic concepts. Um, they're experiencing how people um, react to one another um, and their big ears are listening to what somebody says publicly versus what they say privately. Um, and um, all of that is, is taking taking root and creating their, their view of the world and how they expect to interact with others and how they foster relationships. A question to try to throw you off kilter, or a prospective parent might ask, how do you measure these traits and characteristics? Like, I understand traditional education, like my son got a B on an exam, but but how do you measure that kindness with which the son leaned down and picked up a piece of paper from the person next to him that dropped the paper? Mm Like those attributes, those characteristics, these are the ones that Montessori envisions as taking us to a place that's not 1947 anymore. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if if the measurable piece of that is still um, is still a quantitative versus a qualitative view of the world. You yeah. know, how how do you measure that? Um, if we're and I'm if asking we're, the question, how do you yeah, measure? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's you know, if you're saying 
um, how do you measure that? You're looking for, you know, how many, can I make mark a tally for how many times a child said thank you or how many times a child offered compassion? Um, but I, I would like to work on creating a world where I don't need to count those because that's what, that's what happens. That's a given that I act in such a way and I help the children to act in such a way that, that that is the norm. Right. That falling out of that is so dramatic. That time when somebody walks by something and doesn't pick it up um, or doesn't act from kindness is is so abnormal that the other children come to that child's aid because obviously they're feeling out of sync and unloved. Right, right. And that that's a perfect place in <laughs> which to, to leave things. And we'll wrap it up with a quote from Montessori who concludes this lecture by saying thus, Every human being is the result of the growth of the child, as every tree, even if gigantic, originated from the seed which potentially contained it. Thank you for listening.